It's the Redirect Podcast. Search industry research, discussion, and analysis from the Black Truck Media and Marketing Headquarters. And now, redirecting you to the Black Truck Team. Welcome to episode 33 of the Redirect Podcast. It is Friday, February 9th, 2018. I'm Jason Dodge, founder of Black Truck Media and Marketing. Welcome this week by an entire crew, Ashley, Patrick, and Adrian from the Black Truck team. Welcome, gang, to hey. another week. Hello. It's Friday. There's a lot happening in the world of search, in the world of search, uh, social, and I tried to put search and social together. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask people to fast forward out of the wintertime months and look ahead to July. There's a lot that's going to be going on. Why would we want to do that? It's be- such a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> well, time here you in know. Michigan. I mean, we have snow on the ground, but the, the big deal is, is that we know there's a major Google update coming um, with the announcement of their speed update uh, that's, that's going to happen. So how, uh, you know, the, the actual load times and performance of your site is going to impact it from a search perspective. But they also noted that uh, this week that sites that have not migrated to HTTPS mm-hmm. are going to be marked as not secure I know Search Engine Land uh, had a had a good piece on that this week, um, and it coincides with the release of Chrome 68. So again, reminder: this is a Chrome browser callout. This isn't a a Google algorithm callout. This is a Chrome browser. Mm-hmm. So it'll be called out in the address bar. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know that we've also seen that there were potential where it would be displayed in SERPs too. Mm-hmm. Um, but most likely, uh, a user is going to care more that it, if it were to display in the SERPs than in the address bar. I would wager to bet that there's a very large audience and population that doesn't pay any attention to their address bar and wouldn't know whether or not a site is secure. Well, that's how the Prince of Nigeria gets all of his money. <laughs> Absolutely. So I read that article too, and what I walked away from it, maybe I didn't read it as in-depth or skimmed over too much, but what I took away is how is that different than the warning that's currently out there? It's, it's not a, so the, the warning and the signals and the chatter has happened. It's just Google's officially said in July right. with, with Chrome, with the new version mm-hmm. of Chrome, that's when we're going to make the cut. That's what they've said. Got it. So it hasn't been up until recently this week that there's been an official What is it? So there's been an unofficial. Oh, it's been, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's been, been chatter there. that, I mean, the, the push has been since this summer that. You know, yeah, because previously there were announcements of like October. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe maybe refine that question is, I've already seen the warning mm-hmm. in the address bar. Right, it already exists. Right. So what's the difference? <clears throat> uh, that's a, I think a really great question, and I would encourage you to find out. <laughs> <laughs> hey Google. <laughs> no, I mean I mean the, the the push has been made for not just since this summer, but probably for the past two years. Right. Um, and, and hinting at like small ranking boosts, you know, so hopefully they, they're trying to incentivize this, this whole shift. Um, so what they were saying, what Google said in their blog post is, is over 68% of Chrome traffic on both Android and Windows is now protected. Uh, 78% of traffic on Chrome OS and Mac is now protected and 81 of the top 100 sites are using an HTTPS by, by default. So um, obviously the, the migration from an HTTP to an HTTPS can be, uh, a bit lengthy depending on the size of the site. 
And there's certainly uh, uh, do's and don'ts and things you want to follow, but Ashley, did I totally take your your topic? Yeah, that's that's fine because I was gonna I was gonna let you talk about it too when it came up, but um, <laughs> I was curious too. I I as I was reading this news, I was curious about you know not everybody uses Chrome. Um, there are a lot of Firefox fans and people who are stuck on Microsoft Edge and. Um, I'm sorry, did you, what? Microsoft? Formerly what? known as Internet Explorer. Explorer. Oh, oh, yes. oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So, formerly known as. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. <laughs> Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. So as I was reading this news, I was, my mind naturally went to, well, how many people actually use Chrome? I'm just curious, and I was going to throw that stat out 85%. here. 85%. Um, no. Damn. So, actually, in the Search Engine Journal article that discussed this, um, this news, there was a breakdown of, I think he did 12 different countries. Um, so actually, Chrome use in like South America is really high, and Israel and Spain is really high, like above 60%. Um, the U.S. is at 42.6% hmm. right now, which is hmm. still huge. And the, hmm. and, um, the article does say it's about, um, let's see, I think it said 50%. Worldwide, like throughout the whole world, like about 50%. What falls behind that? Safari? Actually, let's see. Just Chrome, Safari, then Firefox, according to W3 Counter, hmm. which we've pulled stats before. So it's Chrome, Safari, Firefox, IE, Edge, and then Opera still comes in there. So, so yeah, yeah, I mean, you, a lot of people might hear this news and think, well, not, you know, who really uses Chrome? I don't use Chrome. Well, 50% worldwide mm-hmm. use totally. Chrome. Yeah, so. one out of two people is mm-hmm. a pretty big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, the, and of course, the breakdown, too, we don't we don't get the breakdown. Notice that search engine lands somewhat biased to the mobile market, but you don't get the breakdown of is that mobile versus desktop users mm-hmm. either, and W3 doesn't point that out either. I would be curious to know of desktop users, what's the browser breakdown mm-hmm. versus what's the browser breakdown by phone. I mean, mm-hmm. we know that... Android has a good chunk of the market share because you're either iOS or, or Android, right? So it's it's obvious that Chrome and Safari should be should be battling it out, right? So yeah, I mean if you're not if you're not thinking about the migration to HTTPS, that's a that's a problem. You have a little bit of time, but um, certainly would would want to go through that. That's process. right. I'm sure Microsoft Edge still has you covered. Totally do. Yes. Some guys have all those government contracts where all the government employees have to use mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all those products, Microsoft mm-hmm. 360 or whatever it Black, is. Blackberries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, don't count the Blackberry out just yet. You still have yours? Well, I mean, I have one. Not I don't use it, but um, they're also big in the market of like autonomous cars and um, other types of... Isn't everybody? Things like boats and such. Hmm. Through an auto boats. show. Mm-hmm. All right. I better need you to show me the data on that later. <laughs> I mean, I have a picture of it, if that helps. Yeah. I know how much you like pictures. Yeah, <laughs> I do look at a lot of pictures. <laughs> hey, while we're talking about... Uh, about pictures? Yes. Uh, <laughs> updates from Google. Something that they finally have publicly come out and said that's important to them. Mm-hmm. The Favicon. Oh, yeah. I just saw something about yeah, that. Yeah. I've always obsessed over Favicons. It's that little tiny image picture of your logo that's in your the tab. Yep. Uh, makes uh, your site look nice and polished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As as Ashley and I uh, <laughs> live and die by the tab. 
the tab count, the high tab count in our browser. Yeah. Um, that I don't know how you get anything done. That favicon uh, saves me quite a bit. You're in trouble if the favicon gets covered. You have so yeah. many tabs open. Or it's a generic one. You don't know what yeah, you're looking exactly. what you have in your yeah. collection of tabs. So <laughs> these are real problems. These are legit. First, these are first world problems. <laughs> these are definitely really? first world Never problems. Never mind what browser really? you're using. Yeah. Let's talk about Truly. how many yeah. tabs you're using. So Google has started to, via Search Console, send out warnings. <clears throat> Warnings to site owners and webmasters that they're not utilizing a, a high-res favicon file. Uh, that's at least 192 by 192. Um, and they are stating that... On, I, I tried researching this, but it didn't make sense. In, in Chrome's new tab page, which I don't think is as simple as clicking a new tab hmm. because it shows previous used home uh, pages rather than previous used favicons. Uh, anyways... Uh, a good favicon can increase a click-through rate by up to two times in Chrome's new tab page mm -hmm. and uh, in Android home screen. Hmm. I'm not an Android user, so I don't know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But on your, when you open a new tab mm -hmm. on your Android browser, <clears throat> you get favicons. And if it's not a quality favicon, it's going to potentially miss opportunity for click-through rates. Well, also, when you, you can save on um, Android, you can save a web page to your home screen mm. or one of the five yeah. screens or whatever, right. and it will show up. It pulls that yeah, thing. Yeah, nice. And if it's just your basic WordPress mm -hmm. graphic, it, you yeah, can't Yeah, or sometimes it it's just like... The, the letters of the blog, like BH or whatever it would be. Right. So. Right. Ashley's got a great a great example. Maybe we'll do a screenshot of that to share. But um, really, oh, it's it's that? if you just yeah. open if you so if you open a new blank tab uh -huh. in Chrome, you you're gonna see uh, maybe it's it's recent or your favorite yep. websites that you visited. That. So yeah, 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 and I don't I don't have it I don't have it either on mine. So It'll it could throw be your apps in there. Too, yeah, it could be a setting. Mm -hmm. And gonna have to have a conversation actually after mm -hmm. seeing that. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing I want to discuss that I thought was I mean, that so the the favicon note is kind of a, just a just a little bonus material there. But, um, something I want to discuss that I don't really I, I, I'm not in India and I understand commerce is probably different in the country of India, but they just their their competition commission just fined Google twenty one million dollars for. Um, favoring their own flight search and search results pages. Oh. Uh, it's more, are we headed down the road of them getting penalized for their PLAs in, in <laughs> Europe, too? I mean, is it sure, the same yeah. thing? It's kind of the same thing. I, I just don't understand. I mean, it's a business, and your goal is to make money, mm -hmm. and people are using your search engine, mm -hmm. which is a business. Something we've talked about a lot here in this office and during the podcast is Google is a business, and their goal is to get you to stay on their website mm -hmm. because that's how they earn money. You're, as a user, when you go to Google.com and then you do a search for something, and if it happens to be flight data, and you're asking for the best results or any results, and if Google is displaying that data right there in front of you, if it's flights, if it's restaurants, if it's how-tos, mm -hmm. that's commerce and that's business. You know, it's, you're, you're, Google's doing you a favor by showing you your work, and there's, that's why the SEO industry is out there in order to try to beat that. And granted, it's their own inside scoop and they're using their own tools and um, but a 21 billion dollar fine works out to 5% of revenue <laughs> in the country of India from the year 2013 to 2015 so that's you know 5% revenue is still 5% revenue mm -hmm. but it's it you know it, I, I can't say I agree with it and again different countries different rules 
You, uh, you don't agree with the ruling, or you don't agree with Google doing what they did? I don't agree with the ruling. Hmm. I do not agree with the ruling, because it, that's commerce, and that's the way businesses thrive. Well, I guess the counterpoint to that is then how do those businesses compete if Google is where people search? Yeah, so if I'm running, if I, for case in point, if I'm running, uh, if I'm running paid search ads, right? I'm a I'm a travel company or I'm an airline, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm I'm running ads because because there's some pretty key players as the backbone of advertisers in in Google, right? And we can blame the Travelocities right. and the and the Kayaks right. and the and the Trivagos of the world that. That if I can't get my name even in the consideration phase because it's all Google travel products, I'm probably going to get pretty pissed about it. Yeah, and it's, it's also a play that's to not a, market, though, too. It's not a fair play, though. Because it's not... So if I continue to favor... If I continue to favor your ads over the other three on this podcast, eventually the hammer's going to fall and somebody's going to get upset because, because it, that... That in essence goes against the the algorithm. That right. goes against everything you know about AdWords and bidding. You know, imagine if you were running to play devil's advocate. If you were running, um, and one of our clients' campaigns, and you couldn't, you were just coming up against the wall. And couldn't you either couldn't get the positions that you thought that you needed, or the so your impression share was low because of competition. It had nothing to do with the budget you were spending, the quality score, or anything but you constantly hit this wall of like, why the hell am I not getting those positions? And then come to find out it's because Google's favoring their own products over it. I would probably be a little pissed too. I would too. I would too. You know, I, I would keep working hard to try to, to combat though and try all of the different tools in my toolbox. Mm-hmm, for sure. In order to try to get that being uh, on page content, all the, you know, all the tricks of the trick, everything yeah. that we have, I would go after that and do the best we can. You know, in, in full disclosure, uh, I've got a, a flight to west this summer and a couple nights ago I was searching for flights and mm-hmm. I used um, my laptop an iPad and an iPhone and I found the most user friendly tool out there was the Google flight tool mm-hmm. and it's cake it shows the account it's, it's well, you right know there who doesn't lose in this equation either way are the airlines the airlines <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, quite frankly, right? two, two so people that third the, parties. The, the yeah, airlines don't the lose. Airlines. The airlines don't lose, and the user doesn't lose no, either. No. So, to Pat, to your point, doesn't matter the device. You had a great experience with yeah. Google. You're going to continue to mm-hmm. use it. Airline, I'm getting a kick. Don't care. Yeah. I'm going to continue to do my my I flight feel like fee. If these third parties were just a little, I don't know, a little smarter about it, instead, I think. Like, this is a one-time fix and maybe, like, a one-time fine and then maybe a fix. I mean, I don't know. Google has all of the money. So (laughs) I feel like paying that kind of fine isn't a big deal to them. But um, I feel like if I'm, like, Travelocity or whatever, I'm looking real quick to find a partnership with Google where I can help them. I want to be the data feed. With the interface. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also the user experience and also the data. And I think they are. I think somewhere along the line I saw... A little thing in the corner that said data from kayak.com. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is. There's partnerships yeah. are already out there. Yeah. You know, what I, this is going to sound kind of crass, but at the end of the day, I relate it to um, this is what you get when you give all the kids trophies, not just the winners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. If you're funny or die, you might go off and get pissed at Facebook. Right now. <laughs> but well, we won't talk about that right now. Yeah, I don't know if this is like a productive. Uh, way of looking at it but when you were saying that you didn't agree with the ruling it kind of made me think of like I think as users we have a tendency to view Google or other search engines as like a public service Uh which it is but but then you go back to you know it is 
mm-hmm. a business. Mm-hmm. We are. That's great. That's a really great point yeah. to put it. So yeah. I, I agree with you there mm-hmm. is that, that their business, they're, they're not a nonprofit. They're here to make money. Case in point, the user does not care. I'll always say it like if it costs you, the advertiser, a couple bucks, 20 bucks, if the user's happy and they got what they want out of it, well, Life is good yeah, in I mean, everybody's it's, eyes. It's just stakeholder and shareholder performance. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what matters, mm-hmm. right? The user plus whoever profits from it, which is people that own shares. Totally, which is not me. <laughs> As a user, if I'm not enjoying the experience, I'm going to go to another tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if the if Google keeps providing me with the information I need, mm-hmm. and there's no reason for me to move on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's regardless of you being uh, an internet marketer too. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I yeah. think I think that's just you good usability. So yeah. So this is sort of a leap, but let's talk about uh, user experience a little bit, but in the way of um, advertising, right? So giving people what they need, also what they want. Um, and so I have been doing a lot of um, writing for copy and analysis the last couple weeks. And while I'm not necessarily, I mean, I'm public relations by trade, really, and content kind of falls under that. but. I've been doing a lot of copywriting um, in the last few weeks and having like those refreshers um, and doing a lot of reading in that space. And so I've been looking a lot at how do you turn consumer issues into consumer content? Hmm. And that's something we've talked about before, but um, you know, going through the gamut of um, not just blog copy, not just web copy, but also ad copy. And so how do you turn... Um, I mean, we already know that finding your audience is like half the battle because after you find them, you have to give them something that they need Mm -hmm, or want mm -hmm. to convert them. But um, instead of just looking at demographics for this, which commonly we do by sorting, right? We sort people into buckets, basically, based on what they, who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, What I've been looking at more are the psychographics, which is um, the ultimate transformation of a customer from someplace else to you is changing their attitudes, beliefs, interests, feelings, behaviors, and attitudes. I mean, that's like the goal of any any campaign mm-hmm. of any kind, really. Um, but the ultimate goal is to make change with the person, right, in their psychographics, so actually changing them. Um, and in doing so, um, or in trying to do that, rather, you have all sorts of opportunities to actually make that happen. And so I've been reading a lot about where to find this kind of data in order to, to try to find new ways to write copy um, so that it's interesting to them. And so I sort of have been trolling some different areas, like even Reddits and subreddits and um, online groups, social groups, um, reading blog comments of competitors, um, reading blog comments of much bigger blogs. Oh, there's golden comments. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. Do you feel dirty? Um, I mean, now? I kind of always feel dirty, but um, you know, using listening tools as a method of not just feedback, like, but actually to create something better than it started out as, which many companies don't do because I think they already think they're okay and that they don't need to change. And so this is sort of an attitude adjustment, I think, for some companies to look at is it's one thing to listen to social media or listen to blog comments or whatever. It's another thing to really take it and make it. Actually something. actually do something about right. it. Right. So, and I don't just mean like problems. I mean, I'm hoping people are fixing problems, but also just need, right? Like what are your customers actually asking for and how can you, can you actually give it to them? Um, and so, um, you know, some of this is like primary research based, like interviews or focus groups and things of that nature and or exit surveys for some... Um, some um, 
other primary data, but I don't think that everybody really has the budget for that. So on, I mean, it's so beautiful that you can look now at like reviews. Yeah. You can ask for reviews. You can, I mean, for no money at all, you know, you can like send out a survey monkey with a couple of questions post interaction. I mean, if we're working on a project based um, client and at the end of our project, we want to know what we could have done better from a customer experience mm -hmm. standpoint, then we should send something out and have them reply. And then the ultimate compliment really is to adjust based on good data. I mean, people are always going to have an opinion. And so you have to have mm -hmm. a brain about this, right? Where you're sorting through the data to find actionable areas that are not just somebody was unhappy. You know, yeah. I mean, people are going to be unhappy about well, Yeah, and especially on the internet. I mean, people are going to be way, I mean, much more forward about their bad experience than mm -hmm. their good experience. Absolutely. So, so um, finding time to respond to online reviews and then using the responses to create either ad copy or um, content for blogging or to help fix something on their website that they, I don't know, I find a lot of um, new pros and people that are sort of um, corporate guys or gals that have been in the company for a long time, sort of lo you lose a little bit of perspective in that space mm. because it's always been that way kind of mentality. And so as a young person, you're basing all of your experiences on your experience, which is not a lot, <laughs> right? As an older person, older pro, you're looking at the experience that you've had within the space that you are, and that rarely changes. But the consumer might be first-time user, first-time buyer, first-time exposure, and that's a completely different um, experience. And so trying to you know collect and frame testimonials of current clients, first-time clients, long-time clients, I mean, just using all of the information that we should be getting anyway, honestly, um, about products and things and experiences to make it something else. So, you know, using testimonials as ads, that's a pretty common, like, television tactic mm -hmm. um, and radio, frankly, but using it for online um, is something I think that companies could do a little bit better at. Um, I've seen some really good advertisements that are negative reviews. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Alta yeah. Ski Area did that, or Snowbird. I can't remember which one it is, but it was, like, basically... The statement was like the runs are too hard, uh -huh. which they're <laughs> right. known for that. They're right. known for like right. steep and deep right. runs, and it was like Jerry gave them a one star right. review, and they blasted that and used it uh -huh. in all of their ads. Right, and it's phenomenal. Right, because there's a market for that, right? I mean, just totally like anything is. else, yep. and you have to determine. You know, I mean, frankly, you don't want people to come to your. Mm -hmm the run if it's not something that's going to be good for them either, right? So, like, if that's what they are, then by broadcasting that's what they are, then you keep away the people that would be disappointed. So I think, I think these are, these are that's great. that's still creating a good customer experience. Yeah, no. I, by avoidance. I, I, I am curious, though. These are really, a lot of these are, like, could be for us maybe as outsiders when we're dealing mm -hmm. with a lot of different brands that we do. Um, a lot of these things are like fundamental duh type things. But, oh, I know. And, and I think there's I think there's additional conversation and and maybe a, a blog post or something that comes out of this. But the question that I have is that th that's great, mm -hmm. but how do I sell my boss on those changes? Mm -hmm. How do I, I all those ideas are great. I appreciate it, consultant. Mm -hmm. However. Right. Well, how are we? How at, we're going to make those changes? How are we going to measure it? What's yeah. it going to do for me? So if you look at funda just fundamentals of advertising, and if you're looking at like clicks or you know whatever pay per click or Facebook ad or whatever we're looking at, I mean literally it's going to be the same fundamental theory 
for a print ad as it is for something that's online in terms of um, copy, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're looking at, I mean, I don't think, or rather, it would be rather silly for somebody to say to someone that brought them an, an idea from this, what we've been, this information we were talking about, to say that it would be better to not solve a customer's problem mm. or to not solve a customer. So I would feel like instead of maybe going with the positive sense of that, which is we need to use blog comments or we need to use reviews as advertising, I think you go in with the negative persuasion and you mm. say, it would be crazy for us to not do this in order to create this experience for our customer. I think sometimes um, it's really easy, especially for traditional sort of marketers and traditional advertising people to get caught up in we know best, right? We know what's best for them. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been watching the sales figures or we've been watching whatever, which I mean, we know is bullshit. So <laughs> I think like being able to say, you know, we're, we're just a different, we're centered differently now because mm -hmm. there's so much competition between brands and so many things. I mean, we're like airlines and what you're just talking about. I mean, there's not one place anymore. So you no. don't have a monopoly. So it's, it's a, I think it's the same thing too. run into the issue a couple times where um, we'll, especially in paid search world, where we'll run a campaign and we, we're, we're basically instructed to send them to uh, what I call a squeeze page. Well, that doesn't set a good user no. experience because I don't get to learn about your brand. How do I know that you're at that point in your in the in mm. the decision funnel? Um, not not to go after the whole funnel thing, but how do I know I'm am I top or bottom of the funnel? Do I know your brand? Do I not? And I think those comments, uh, mining comments, mining right. mining uh, forums and things like that, help showcase that problem. So it's too. like anything else. I mean, you have to, in order to understand the customer and to appease them or to help them or to make them a fan or friend or, or user or whatever, you have to make sure that you understand them. And the the ultimate demonstration of that is then to speak their language back to them, mm. right? Is to reframe their comments precisely what's being told and then come and then having that as ad copy. Mm. So um, there was a pretty good example of this I saw just recently where um, somebody wrote a review that's like, um, uh, Best Buy sucks less than <laughs> wherever they bought this online. And so then um, for a hot second, um, the other the reverse company wrote, you know, we might suck more than Best Buy, but we still have your, we'll have more of your things in stock. <laughs> and it will take less time for you to talk to us. And, it, you know, nice. they gave like a list of, they were happy to suck more on that one particular, you know, area. Like, I think it was cost, right? <laughs> we're happy to be a little bit more expensive if that means but we're going to we give you the experience that you want, the service that you need, and we're here, you know, longer hours than that mm. or whatever. Mm. So they flipped it on its head kind of, which I thought was quite smart. But then the other idea is, um, you know, to get back to pitching it to your boss or whatever, is sort of this idea of, of in customer service called matching, and it's, where if you you know someone comes at you on the phone real hot and have you like super pissed off, then you mash their anger and then you just use it to kind of bring them back down to like a normal volume or normal level. And I, I do this all the time in, I just said on the phone the other day, like someone kind of came at me with some sass and so I matched her and brought Whoa, her back. No, I'm not confused. <laughs> not a client, by the way. Not, no, not a client. It's actually a professional organization, which is even worse, honestly. I was because, out that day. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was in and I was listening. <laughs> they're supposed to be my advocate and I had to remind them of that. So, um, but like really trying to figure out that... Um,
you know, using that similar language and the similar type of emotion and feeling as the as your intended client or your target is, is really important. But also other ways that you turn psychographics into ad copy are to show life improvement. I mean, we're always seeking pleasure to try to avoid pain, um, pointing out and solving worries and fears, addressing pain points. I mean, I kind of think that's the new engagement hot like buzzword bingo you know i hate the words together pain point i think that sounds so well but but, cliche but but it's no different than what we've at least here that we've been focused on from a a a search perspective is when you you're not remember you're not developing seo strategies for the robot you're developing seo strategies for the people that are using the robot and a lot of people are searching for a pain point or right. a problem. I'm or, just saying right, I have an issue you know, with the phrasing. I think uh, it's okay, sort of trigger, trigger word, word, trigger word. word. Definitely a trigger word. word. Yeah, roadblock is my second yeah. word here. I okay. see reading my notes, Patrick. Actually, I didn't. I can't um, read your handwriting. I oh, thanks. Thought of that I'm like, I actually, <laughs> really, usually people really think I have good handwriting. That's I have horrible um, But fulfilling a need in, at the end is assuming that you know their needs, and if mm. you don't know their needs, then how can you actually fulfill them? And that's the whole purpose, really, of advertising. I think, <laughs> and I think that ties in really well to something that Ashley brought up on episode 32, so the last episode, was on some what might appear to be some basics in content mm-hmm. strategy. It's making sure you understand the the what and the why of mm-hmm. my content. So who's going to be there? Am I fulfilling their need? Does it answer all of their questions? If you answer no to two out of three of those, mm-hmm. you, you, you really yeah. should be revisiting well, that content. content you know? I think people try to do too much with one blog post. Absolutely. I mean, you could have a multitude of um, different audiences or personas or whatever your favorite way to describe them is, the different target audiences, but you don't have to reach all of them in every post. Right. Like that's like not possible and kind of insane, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because then you just have sort of this um, uncentered right. smattering of, you know, just words on a page instead of being very specific. Um, and I just don't think that, I don't think customers are asking brands to bend to just the individual person either. Mm. I think that that, I don't think that that's something that, um, I don't expect Meyer or Coke or whoever to, you know, think of just only Adrian. Um, I don't know. I feel like personalization has been another buzzword. I feel like that's because millennials. So I can't, I think that that's just one market, right? That's one target audience. Um, But any, like anything over, you know, 25 or whatever, I don't think expects to be a special um, segment of their own. Um, I think also who's changing that is Gen Z, which doesn't require kind of that much maintenance. I know that sounds sort of right. negative. And they're coming in to have more discretionary in income too. Right. So like the align I think the alignment is more important than the specialization. <clears throat> so aligning with values of a company. Hmm. So the opposite, right? People choosing the right company, not the company catering to the individual. Hmm. So you have to do a little more research for that. It's a little more effort. Hmm. I think it's uh, I think it's really good though. It's you you really Pepsi. You need to understand your audience. Mm-hmm. Pepsi just caught a lot of flack mm-hmm. for their Super Bowl commercial. Mm-hmm. Just so did Dodge, right? With the yeah. Ram, mm-hmm. yeah. with Ram trucks. Yeah. yeah, Dodge missed the mark on misproper use of. Uh, so the, it was, they use an MLK speech, mm-hmm. yeah, for to sell a truck. Mm-hmm. And Pepsi came out and did the um, 
that whole, oh, you're old? I drink, you drink Pepsi. I'm young, I drink Pepsi. That mm-hmm. means we're the same. Mm-hmm. But they, like, repeated the whole thing and they rehashed old kind of You know, not to, not to play ad, ad pundit, but Diet Coke did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, the new Coke can and the design, was absolute, those are absolutely <laughs> terrible <laughs> ads. So I, I think the problem you have there is, is, is <laughs> it's a mind shift of soda pop companies going, what the hell do we do in this dying market? Right, but I would say that that still misses the mark because you're not providing a solution for a need. Right. You're just trying to give a new product and hope that someone buys it. Oh, uh, what are you talking about? Coke has a solution. They bought Dasani water. Wrong. That is the wrong way to go about that. I mean, just because you produce a product doesn't mean that you're satisfying a need. Right. It means you're producing a product. This is true. This is true. So can rum and Coke and life will be good. Yeah, also the Diet Coke... Fierce cherry is not fierce, nor does it taste like oh, cherry. I it's feisty, isn't it? Oh, feisty cherry? <laughs> yeah, it's not any of those things. So, moving moving on, <laughs> can I switch complete gears on you? I don't guys? know, I'm still really disappointed about that diet coke. Uh, I want to talk to uh, you about improving AdWords conversion rates with call tracking, right? So... Um, you know, it does. I don't think it really matters if if you're a brand that focuses in a B2C market or a B2B market. If you have a product or service that like requires an additional conversation, it's a longer process. Or I'm selling something that's a little bit more like intimate, like a home service or something like that. I don't. I don't know if I really want to rely on your time to respond to me, and I want a direct answer. I want to talk to someone. So I, I think the question is, okay, a why are you not prompting people to reach out? via phone. Um, but then if you are, how are you tracking it? Mm-hmm. And in previous blog posts, and I think we've touched on it a little bit in the redirect, um, there's various types of ad extensions that we that we employ in a paid search world um, that are available primarily in Google AdWords. Bing has them as well. One of the most often overlooked one is call tracking. And call tracking is fairly simple to set up. Just add a phone number in that you want people to call. Google, you can prompt it, say yes, go ahead and auto-forward the call, and voila. Um, now, that said, you're, you're tracking calls inside of the AdWords campaign right now, meaning uh, you do a search for something, the ad pops up, it's that phone number there. If you do a click-to-call or you dial that number, that's trackable, it's forwarded from Google. That's not the brand's actual number, that's the mm-hmm. forwarded number. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but that's usually, if people even get to that step in their campaigns and setting that up, they, that's usually where they stop. And conversions look good. Ah, oh, we're getting calls from ads. This is great. But they don't take it a step further and, and go to the site itself. Meaning you can also step it up a notch and say, well, I also would like to track those calls that happen on the site. And I'm not talking about services like, call rail and hosted numbers and things like that. Those services exist and they allow you to forward the numbers from landing pages and things like that. And you can record calls and, and everything like that if that's something that you're interested in doing. Um, from my perspective, I don't really care to record a call. I just want to know, did the call, you know, did we land the call? Did we make the deal? Um, so you can, there's a simpler version that I say that's baked directly into AdWords and it's it's um, in the conversion settings, you can set up a new conversion, select phone calls, and in there you can tell AdWords that you want to 
basically measure those calls that happen to phone number or phone numbers mm -hmm. on your site. So whether that's an individual landing page, whether you have a singular phone number across the entire mm -hmm. site that hopefully is like hanging out in your header, or it's the phone number on your contact page or something like that. So you can create one of those that tracks a single number across your entire site, or maybe you have multiple location landing pages or service type landing pages. You can track those all individually. You'd have to set them up individually. But the, the point that I'm making is, is that let's say you don't ever call the number that's in the ad, but you click through and you dial the number. Well, if you're not tracking that number, mm -hmm. Google uh, AdWords, your campaign never gets the proper attribution for it. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden you just keep plotting along at maybe this 4 or 6% conversion rate when in all reality it could be like 15 or 20% conversion mm -hmm. rate. Um, but then take it a step further, depending on how long your window is on that conversion, you know, standards like 30 days, but maybe you bump it out 45 or 60 if it's like a big purchase, is what happens if the user views the ad or clicks through, comes to the page, but then leaves. But then three or four days later, they come back. You can have it set up so that it will display them that same call forwarded number. So attribution still goes back to AdWords. Original, yeah. You know, not to go down the whole attribution modeling discussion, because that's a whole, we could kill 40 minutes <laughs> with that, but... But what it ends up doing is it gives some level of attribution back to that ad because that's how they were introduced to your brand. Hmm. So, you know, if you're, if you're not doing call tracking and you have a service, maybe you're a car dealership, maybe you're a home services type company, things like that. If you're not at least taking advantage of just on that base level tracking in the ad, you're missing opportunity. If you're not tracking people that are calling on your site, that's a whole other opportunity. You could really see conversions, uh, you know, jump up there. So I think WordStream did a really great post recently on this whole process, and we can link to it because um, they walk you through the whole how to segment it out, how to add it manually to your to your site and things like that. But in the end, what what ends up happening is is they have a great case study. Is that you go from four to six conversions a week to fifty or sixty. Wow. So that's like that's like eighty percent of the conversions. We're on-site phone calls for a service, especially a service-based right. company. Like, right. I don't want to fill a form out because, like, if I want to get my carpets clean, like, I'm ready to go. I'm, well, I'm calling also, you. I'm, I'm, so I made my decision. If you're like going through your day to fill out a form and have someone call you when they're ready, whether and the opposite is the business or the organization is there, <clears throat> ready to answer your phone. You're maybe not. So, like, having you be the the person that in that behavior is always, I think, better. 100% agree. If, if you get someone that is taking, if they come to your site and they go to that level of, hmm, I'm going to call these people, that's way more serious, I think, than filling a form out. Mm -hmm. So why are you not tracking that as a conversion? Well, I'm probably filling out a lot of forms, but I'm probably only making one or two calls. That's a really great point. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with live chat. Mm -hmm. If you know, <clears throat> if I'm a landscape company, and I hit March, and I'm starting to ramp up service orders and things like that, and you're driving traffic there, and you don't have right. a live chat in place. I I think that's a I think you're just missing the boat completely. Mm -hmm. And and you don't it doesn't take a huge 
like staff crew to, to make that this happen. You could set a thing. chat bot up this if you needed to. This is just another thing of your audience, right? Mm-hmm. What is their day like? Mm-hmm. You're waiting for them. Right. But you have to come to them and meet them where they are when they are. So yep. if you're not, if you don't have the tools available that are convenient to the audience or to the target that you're looking at, then you're just not going to get the calls. Agreed. Or, or the emails or any of the things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm a firm believer that a lot of people are researching during the day um, when they're at work and they are they are more likely to reach out through a form, through a chat, or they might call on lunch or something like that. However, you can make it easier to mm-hmm. your point, you know, um, just, just remove the friction. Mm-hmm. Remove the friction to make the conversion happen um, easier. Well, especially if it doesn't, co- if it's not a great um, investment or, I mean, if it's just a matter of a few clicks or an hour of time instead of like purchasing a whole right. thing. Like it just seems so inane to not do it. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So <laughs> enabling some uh, call, calls from ads, first and foremost, and then enabling uh, the call tracking to happen on the site too. So A lot of pushback I've heard about chat <clears throat> and activating chat from other business owners or employees is, um, okay, if we activate this chat system, who's going to operate mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Or who's going to be the one to do it? Manned, uh, right? Yeah, and it's, I have no problem with a chat not being active outside of business mm-hmm. hours. I think it makes sense to turn it off. You know, mm-hmm. it, it all defaults to the contact form when you click on chat outside yeah. of business hours. But uh, run a test. If, if These chat tools are so easy to install. Run a test and, and say, mm-hmm. okay, whoever, we're going to, okay, Bob, you do it for the, for the first week. You're in charge of all mm-hmm. the chats. And if one chat comes in that first week, Bob can handle that one mm-hmm. chat. Right. I do think people have a kind of a... Um, fear. Yeah, a big time fear. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be overwhelmed with all of the chats and I'm going to have to hire a person to do just chat. And I think that that's insane. I mean, I don't, I don't think that, I think that the level is grossly overestimated then in that space. And it might vary from, mm-hmm. from business category to business well, yeah, category and how and big size. It is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but it, it could also mean that, that if your competitor has a chat and I'm frustrated mm-hmm. with you, then I'm going to go down the road to your competitor as well. Mm-hmm. Right. I think this also speaks to how our workforce has to be kind of trained to is to not just do a thing. Like, I think we're sort of getting away from a specialist mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. mentality to mm-hmm. people that are able to have skill sets to do more than one thing. Um, and that doesn't translate to every every industry, of course. But for something like this, I mean, there's no reason that like the secretary can't handle, you know, the. Um, if she's answering the phone, she can probably do the chat, you know, like this, the live customer service, or maybe she can even take over like the Facebook messages or the Facebook messenger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that sometimes we get so like focused on what it is that we do. Like I am the social media person, but I don't know, maybe she could take a part of that and I could also help with this part. You know, I, I could also help with writing or I could also yeah. help, you know, solve these other problems within the business. And if you know your employee's skill set. That, which I think a lot of people don't. I think that they know the job they were hired for. I don't think they necessarily know everything that they were, that they're able to do. Yeah. Or that maybe they're interested. Maybe you want to go attend a quick workshop and get trained on something, and then that's an asset to my company. I think they, they sort of narrowly focus that, and that's really dangerous for a company if they want to be flexible and, and moldable. Well, and I, I think, too, even, even with, you know, even with Black Truck is, though, you know, primarily we're, we're a search marketing firm, but... 
we're much more than that in the sense that as SEOs, as, as search practitioners and content practitioners, we have to be more than that. We are much well, more psychologists of the web. to the fact that other things no. are you know, colliding no. with what it is that you do. Correct. To make, and to make and to your point earlier, Adrian, that, you know, again, half the battle is getting you there, getting you to the site. Mm-hmm. We always have to be thinking about what's next. Mm-hmm. But that's in our best interest. It's in the best interest of the client uh, or the brand. So you need to be thinking that way. Mm-hmm. So if you know that people are getting there and they're not converting, well, why aren't they converting? Is there a problem with the form? Are you not giving them enough information? The call to action isn't loud enough? Or, heaven forbid, put a live chat in. Yeah, I think, too, you have to just be of the mindset that you have to be able to be flexible and change quickly mm-hmm. um, in that space. Because sometimes when you ask those questions, you get answers that you're not fond of. Like, maybe the page doesn't have the information they really want, but it's what your boss really loves. Or... You know, so I keep going back to, like, you have to know the target. You mm-hmm. have to know your audience, and mm-hmm. you have to write for them, not for whoever the leadership is on your team. or who, Like, you can't write for the president or the CEO of the company. They're not buying. They, they are the product, right? They aren't buying the product. Yeah, and the audience doesn't want to hear about you no. talking about yourself. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, they, they, they really don't. Um, that doesn't help. It doesn't help sell more product. Or sell more services. Yeah, so. so, you know, having sort of a deafness in that space, I think, is really dangerous for companies if they're not considering what would be useful for their target. Mm-hmm. Or if they think they are, but they're really not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think the big challenge for, and we've all run up against this with either various mm-hmm. client handlings, the brands that we work with, uh, the apprehension to change, mm-hmm. and how do you get over that, and I think really... You, the the best approach is is the holistic approach and, and trying to sell mm-hmm. the whole thing and you're right. doing all of the things right. and this is just one component of it so imagine if you pulled out of these other channels yeah. what would happen um, play into the strong point play into the weak point be able to sell it to everyone and be able to be knowledgeable on it to to make that change and say let's not confuse people anymore we know we we know based on our research what they want. Let's let's provide them with that. Um, if we're driving people there from paid channels, provide them with that mm-hmm. opportunity to call, opportunity to chat. Um, and I understand the apprehension for every business. You know, I get it because what was probably right or fit the need even six months ago within that time frame could have changed depending on mm-hmm. your market, your customer, and um, the economy. Frankly, I mean, there's so much that happens you know, that you can't control, but being really receptive, I think. And the best clients that I've ever worked with have been the people that hear you out. Maybe they're skeptical. And at the end of the day, they have the ability to say, no, I'm not interested in that. Mm -hmm. But that are like, I don't know, like, let's try, you know, maybe I'm not comfortable with this, but I understand, I see the value. I just don't know how that will work for us necessarily. Can you show me or can we try it? And I really think that that's really brave of a business owner to put that out there. Um, to really trust, you know, a third-party, you know, service provider or, you know, an employee that has a really brave idea or just something that's just not exactly what we're currently doing. And that's sort of, I mean, I think that that speaks to growth um, of businesses and of people, really. And that's just a really mm-hmm. big thing, you know, to be able to do that. So. And if you're in the digital space, it's measurable, mm-hmm. right? It, to, to any degree. Oh, yeah. I always love it when people are like, hey, what do you think about it? I'm like, I don't know. Let's try it. Like, mm-hmm. it's a, we can say that now. Like, I don't know. I don't have precedent for that, and neither mm-hmm. does your brand. 
but I see that this person is doing or that person isn't, so let's see what happens with yours. And you sure. can always change it. It's just the beauty of the digital space mm -hmm. right now is that if it isn't working, there's no reason to keep the billboard up mm -hmm. on 131. Nope. Nope. I don't know. You can always change it. Absolutely. You can pull it down. <laughs> Re redo it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Good, good topics. Yeah. Anybody have anything else? Should we end there? I think we're going to end there. We're going to end there. Yeah, we're going to end there. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, until next time, good luck. This has been the Redirect Podcast. Check out the show notes at blacktruckmedia.com and add us on iTunes and Stitcher.